Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is November the 29th. Uh, we're recording this podcast a day early because Virginia has a basketball game on our typical Wednesday night uh, recording opportunity or what have you. So we're going to try to get this one in under the buzzer, uh, and we'll talk about the end of Virginia's uh, 2016 football season, you might say merciful end, um, but we'll talk about the way that ended and, and some of the things uh, kind of going into to next season we'll, before we jump into uh, basketball. Uh, obviously, a much happier topic, a much more um, uh, probably a topic that you actually want to hear about. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the matchup with Ohio State and then going into the uh, West Virginia game uh, this weekend as well. Uh, before we do, let's go around and introduce everybody. Out in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the podcast. Welcome back, my friend. Oh, it's great to be here, Brad. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington is also back on the show. Welcome back, buddy. Well, good to be back at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. That does not apparently include us being in traffic for a bajillion hours leaving Blacksburg on Saturday. And I, I want to give another public shout-out to Dave and his wife for uh, offering their home to me. Uh, I was fed, and I was well taken care of and given a place to sleep because uh, I did not want to get in the car and drive two more hours back to – or hour and 45 minutes, whatever. Back to Richmond. So I got to stay in Fishersville. So thank you very much for that, Dave. Oh, you're welcome. Um, watched a basketball game in Dave's man cave, uh, which was great. Um no, no lie, though, the entire time that we watched that basketball game, if, if Dave's father-in-law started talking, Virginia <laughs> played well, and if he stopped talking, Virginia started to, like, Providence would start playing well, he's like, well, I guess I got to keep talking. And so he just told me, like, five different stories over the course of, like, 35 minutes. It's actually pretty cool. All right, um, before we talk basketball, let's, let's put a bow on what was a brutal – how many – God, how many different words have I used in that – I mean, I, I know I used brutal on the front page uh, in Ferber's uh, postmortem. Um, it just was, uh, in so many ways, as I look back on the entirety of it, just a really rough year. Um, I feel like this was worse than the 2-10 and 10 season that, that UVA had not that long ago, uh, probably because at the, there was a point in the season where you just felt like the thing got flipped. Um, the, the, the game that, that, that the, the quote-unquote game, the drubbing, the molly whopping, the uh, route that Virginia suffered in Blacksburg Saturday – I guess maybe in hindsight we should have expected it uh, to be that colossally bad. Um, the two-quarterback thing, which I don't want to spend too much time on because it's just uh, mind-numbingly weird. Um, that I don't Like I've said before on the board, I don't think that they lost the game because of that, but it certainly made it look a whole lot worse. Um, I guess let's frame the season. What, what will you remember about Broncos' first year? Um, for me, I'll start. The I, I will remember because I'm generally a positive type of guy. I, the, I think the thing that will stand out to me about this year is that no matter how bad they were, um, Taquan Mizell lived up to the hype he produced. Uh, he had a, an incredible second half of the season, if you think about it. Um, and as the, so as the teams got better, I think he, he, he really rose to the task. And so I don't want that to get lost in what was a, just a, a really difficult season. That's a kid who improved, got better, ran hard, and gave it everything he had. Um, my hat's off to him. Uh, what are some of the things that are, you guys will kind of remember about this uh, 
this this past season? Dave, let's start with you. I mean, I kind of wish we could have cut it off like three weeks ago. Um, in the middle of the season was encouraging. Beginning of the season, obviously, a lot worse than any of us thought. Beginning, middle of the season kind of gave you optimism. Um, not only were we starting to to get closer to winning and then winning and then staying close to teams we didn't expect to, but you were seeing progress with young players and and maybe some development of the program. Um, I mean, but the end of the season, I, as of right now, what, two days, remo- three days removed from the last game of the season, I'm still finding it hard to retreat back to the middle of the season. So <laughs> I am hoping I look back on this season two or three years from now as a blip on the radar, but there's a big part of me now that questions whether or not my optimism beginning of the year was unfounded. Um, however, by a spring ball, I'll probably be okay. Yeah, that's a good point about the, um, the idea that it, it is tough and, it, and I get it. I mean, it's really tough right now to go back. Cause I mean, if you think about it, remember, you know, they, I remember they'd come in on Monday. They'd say, hey, we're going to do this. But, you know, we got to fix X. And then that, that game would come and they'd be better. Um, and even though maybe they didn't win all those games. But, I mean, God, the feeling of that you had around, like, the team winning those two games going into the bye week, you just felt like good things were really in store. And it was all kind of fool's gold. Um, I don't think we should shy away from just how bad, uh, how bad and like the step back that not just not just at the quarterback position but it's several in several different ways that the, that this team uh, took I, I don't want to shy away from that I think that it's legit um, you know I, I think when 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 Bronco was asked that question about what he learned this season versus others I mean he you could you could see the the toll that this has taken on him um, I, I don't know if that's because he's not accustomed to losing I don't know if it's because he was very uh, sure of his plan. Uh, I don't know if that's because he honestly right now doesn't know what needs changing. Um, or maybe it's a combination of all three or, or some other factors. But, man, he looked rough. Um, and I, and, I, and in, in the room in that moment, I thought to myself, like, man, like, there is still a long, long way to go, even more so maybe than it even appears on the field. And um, I, I think that's one of my takeaways is, even though the offensive line was able to stay primarily together for the entire year, um, man, they just couldn't – they really couldn't get – I mean, because if you think about it, Smoke was gaining yards because he's good in a phone booth. I mean, he wasn't – it wasn't because they were clearing him these nice holes. I mean, he was manufacturing the crap out of every, just about every yard he got. Um, and then pass pro, man, middle of the season on, it was really, really bad. Um, and maybe some of that falls on the quarterback and reads and – you know, uh, everything else that comes with that. Um, but I think that's something we'll stick with me is just really how, how bad the offensive line. Well, I guess let's say this differently, the, that the options they had on the offensive line were so few and far between. Um, you had multiple guys uh, who were basically backups at other spots that were starting. Um, they, I, it's kind of miraculous that they were able to play the whole year, um, but certainly did not get the kind of production there that, the, that this program was going to require in order to improve. What about you, Ferber? What are some of your lasting impressions? How do you think you'll look back on the 2016 season? Uh, I mean, it depends on, I guess, what happens next. But, um, I mean, if things turn around, then it'll be easy to look back on this as well. 
you know, it was a necessary kind of means to an end to an improvement that eventually came. Um, I think the lasting impressions for me will be, um, you know, everybody was very excited coming out of fall camp, uh, you know, all the good things that we'd heard and just seeing how poorly they looked against Richmond. And then, you know, the gains that they were able to make in the next few weeks were impressive. And then it seemed like they just hit a wall. Um, and the more I think about it, I wonder if maybe some of that was because they simplified things so much that eventually it just caught up with them in terms of uh, game planning from their opponents. Uh, I mean, maybe it just was so simple to the fact to the point where it was really easy to game plan for. And uh, like I said in the piece I wrote this week, UVA doesn't really have the athletes to just overcome that sort of thing right now. So right. Um, I think the biggest thing to me is that um, just like, like a recalibration of expectations going forward, um, I mean, we'll see, like Dave said, we'll see how optimistic I am, you know, in August looking at the season schedule when we do a preview podcast, maybe I'll be all the way back in and think that they're going to win, you know, a bunch of games. But I think this season has been a, a good lesson learned in terms of, uh, you know, setting realistic expectations and making sure that you don't just assume that because this is what they did last year, that they're going to be better, you know, because of X, Y, Z or, or worse, um, each season's kind of different than the next, so you kind of have to look at it that way. I think other the other thing I will will take away from this, and and this kind of kind of rolls into a positive going forward. You know, primarily the younger guys who had no really UVA experience before Bronco played pretty well. Maybe they weren't necessarily consistent, um, but they played pretty well. And so you have to think to yourself, okay. There's several guys that are some nice workable pieces of clay who are not really highly rated, highly recruited guys. I mean, you know, Landon Word, Matt Terrell, um, Bryce Hall were not exactly, you know, common names. Jordan Mack was a guy, I think, who was a little bit higher recruited. But realistically, you know, it wasn't like he was a game changer. You know, people were like, oh, he's going to make, you know, a big difference. I, so I think the fact, you know, he was asked to do something very different than the other guys. The other guys were kind of playing positions that they kind of knew a little bit more. He was thrown into the fire a week or so before uh, the start of practice, I mean, excuse me, before the first game and was like told basically switch positions uh, and be somebody that you've never been. So I, you do expect that those guys will get better. Um, the thing that I, I, I was thinking about as we were um, getting ready to go on the podcast, what positions are, it, it is, what position and more positions would you say Virginia is, is secure in, in terms of talent, right? They don't really have a quarterback. The offensive line is a huge question mark. Uh, you feel like they have some wide receiver options, but you know Warren Craft didn't play the last what five games of the season with a concussion, um, so it kind of remains to be seen where that goes. Um, they're losing, um, you know, Taquan Mizell, who's basically their best receiver. Um, they're losing Keon Johnson, who was really their best actual wide receiver this year, most productive guy. Donnie Dowling will be back. David Eldridge will be back. Uh, Andre Lavroni will be back. Um, they'll have some, uh, you would imagine, Joe Reed and Hazis Dubois, um, Cole Blackman. Um, those kinds of guys will, will be better. But, man, they played a lot of dudes, like like random walk-on dudes later in the year. Um, so, I mean, wide receiver playmaker is a, a huge question mark still. So you feel like the whole entire offense, basically, is, is still a question mark. You don't feel that way about the defense. Ferber actually did a really good job kind of framing this in, in his piece. But man, like think about like all of the question marks on offense. I mean, you don't know who your you don't know who your quarterback. I mean, maybe it's maybe we all just default to Ben Kirk, and that's probably the maybe that's the most likely scenario. But like, does anybody really think they know 
like what Virginia's offense is going to look like next year. I mean, I kind of think that uh, I don't know. Was it Mike London who used to say we're going to have a spirited competition? Uh, a spirited <laughs> competition in the spring, uh, where Ben Kirk and Cross and Abramson, you would think, would all get a shot. Um, and then you you feel like hopefully you come out with some kind of feel for for what the pecking order is, and then you go into fall and and you kind of let the chips fall where they are. Um, offensive line wise, though, man, I mean, some of these whoever whoever they sign uh, on signing day is gonna have to you know a couple of those guys are gonna have to play. Now, if Knutson is pretty good and he can he and he and he can fill in. Uh, that's a good. That's good. Rankins Meyer should should be a nice fill in. I would be surprised to see him be the center uh, right away. Um, but you got to kind of you got to kind of see. They're not going to fix. They're not going to fix the offensive line issues immediately. They're not going to do it in one class. They might have a couple tackles that can walk on the field and play, um, but that's still not going to help them from a depth perspective. I mean, you're really what you're doing then is you're just filling in holes that exist in the two deep. Um, you're not really filling in succession plans and that kind of thing. So, I mean, offensive line, quarterback, uh, you, you at least feel good about the running backs, right, between Ham and Ellis and then with the three kids coming in who, that are currently committed. Um, that's, that's, that's really good, especially because two of them will be able to, re- to, to um, enroll immediately. But, man, the offense right now is just a huge question mark for me, and I'm guessing you guys are, are somewhat similar. Um, what do we feel like? Yeah. What's the vibe? What are you, what's the opinion or whatever on Alameda? Um, I still feel like he's never been healthy, and they they were so limited in what they could do with him. I asked Anai the question in the post game presser uh, about him and Smoke and how they were just really never able to get them on the field to utilize them at the same time. And he said basically that. And Ferber, jump in here if I'm wrong on on on, on encapsulating what he said. But he basically said that uh, if you're not getting man matchups on them, then having them both in the game doesn't really help you. Which I still he basically, like, yeah, he basically said that the other teams are keying on them. But, like, but but then again, I was like, well, isn't that necess- isn't that kind of a good thing? Like, if they're keying on them, doesn't that mean somebody else can be open? Like, I I, I don't know. I, I, that just seems kind of counterintuitive to me. But what do we feel like Alameda's future is? I mean, he, obviously, if he's hurt, he's got to get healthy. Um, is he the focal point of the offense next year? Do they need to change him, change things up with him, um, or is that part of a larger? Uh, identity question like Ferber alluded to in the piece. What do you guys think? Dave, we'll start with you. What do you, what do you feel about uh, Zacchaeus going forward? My hope is that, that it was uh, it was some injury issues that we didn't know about this year. My my fear, and this is going to be a pessimistic football podcast for me because it's the end of a bad year. Um, you know, my fear is it's more than that. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's they can't figure out how to use him properly or maybe he's not a super big fan of the offense and it's not practicing like he wants to ask, not based on anything other than irrational UVA fan fear. Um, I don't know that like Zacchaeus is a weapon. I don't know that he can be a weapon. You can build your offense around. I think he's a wonderful, you know, side piece to a, another great weapon. Um, going back to Saturday's game, what, would kind of hit me as we continued to get drubbed and drubbed as that game went on was any time that Evans dropped back to pass the ball. If he was throwing it to Ford, you got nervous. And if he wasn't throwing to Ford, you even got more nervous because of Bucky on the other side, or he was running it himself. Like, I don't know in, in today's football, 
that having one weapon is enough. So my, so my question becomes, who's the next guy? Um, and you're right. You know, you look at the running backs on paper, and we should be better there. Uh, not better, but we should be okay there with with Ham returning and Ellis returning and, and three very good young freshmen coming in. But we're losing Smoke, who is – I know maybe he didn't live up to the hype the first two and a half, three years he was here, but this year he was extraordinary. And my fear is that gets lost in what was a bad season for the team. His step up in play was – super impressive the fact that he could produce like he did when he was effectively the only weapon outside of Zacchaeus with no offensive line and and quarterbacks uncertainty hopefully it was something we will appreciate as as time goes forward but none of the other receivers on the team although we all know them by name we know what they can do I don't think there's another fan you know, a fan of another team's not watching Virginia and be like, oh, Lord, they're getting ready to throw it out to Eldridge. Or they get, like, we need those guys to make that next step to be there. Um, otherwise, you just roll double coverage over Zacchaeus. And what is he? Is he frustrated? Is he a decoy? I don't know. Um, my, my biggest issue with, with the offense as, as the year moved on is we started one one thing, and I thought we had kind of – got a really good role for Zacchaeus in that, in that little run we had in the middle. And then he did disappear. And like I said, my fear is he got disinterested. My, my hope is maybe he was a little injured. We didn't know about it. Um, but I, I don't think one guy does an offense make, but he is a great weapon to build around. We just need to, hopefully that guy is on the roster in the incoming freshman class. And yeah, I'm going to be pessimistic this whole podcast when it comes to football. No, I don't. We'll talk basketball later. Yeah, I don't blame you for being pessimistic. <laughs> Listen, there's a there, there, preseason. We always joke about preseason awesome, awesomeness, disease, and how, uh, and the preseason, you know, hope springs eternal. It's okay after a two and ten season, and, and they lost just lost fifty two to ten. Uh, when let's be honest, Tech could have hung. Tech could have hung seventy if they really wanted to. I mean, they pulled a lot. I mean, they pulled back a lot. Um, it's okay to be pessimistic. I, I agree. Uh, the thing about Zacchaeus is weird because I th- I do think he was battling a hamstring issue. Um, I, I think it was they had a specific number of plays they felt like they could play him in a game. Um, I, as I told Ferber on the way to Blacksburg Saturday, I, I really didn't didn't understand. You, you got months before you know you have to do anything again, right? Um, I, I didn't understand trying to sa- trying to save him. The pro- my problem was like he was never on the field. I mean, you're not even talking about just like a guy who was, you know, in the game and just didn't get looks. I mean, that happens, right? Um, but, man, you, you, you have a kid like that and you have a guy like Smoke. I just, I just don't understand. And, and maybe some football guru can come in and, and, and explain to me why my dense brain can't understand this. But, like, you have two weapons like that. How are you not using them against each other? You know what I'm saying? Like, you should be able to move something around identify whether you have man coverage and then be able to, to, to have something working behind that um, with the other guy. Not to mention that like if your defense is pay, if the defense is paying attention to them, they're not paying attention to sit down routes and guys going getting you know open. Um, so I, I have a big problem with the offense in general. I, I don't I think one of the things that we all expected, especially when, when players are came I remember those early practices, players are talking about how Anai wanted them to catch 70 balls at each spot. Um, and, I mean, they I, they clearly had expectations for production that seemed to crater very quickly. My question is, what do they want? What's the ideal offense to them? We talked a lot about 
in the preseason and then um well actually last year uh about adaptability right that Bronco and his and, and Anai had done a really good job of of going from Taysom Hill to Connor um Mangrum is his first name Connor I don't know uh that that they basically had flipped. Tanner, Tanner that's it they had flipped from like a from a from a uh dual threat to a pro style right and they were adaptable and one of the things they talked a lot about was that you know, you got to be adaptable. You have to be able to f- make the scheme fit your players. And I almost feel like they went too far. And maybe today's point, it was so vanilla that it was easy to crack. But wh- what is the identity you want on offense? If it's X, go do that. Train your kids to do that. You know, don't, don't, I think changing things a little bit to fit your scheme, excuse me, to fit your talent makes sense. But your scheme needs to be the thing that you're going towards. Imagine if, like, one day, Tony Bennett walked out there and was like, you know, these kids aren't going to be able to play with plaque line. We're going to go with a 2-3 zone. What? This is who, you know, I, I understand Bronco and his group are f- still relatively new, obviously. So they haven't gone through a whole bunch of recruiting classes. But this is what you're recruiting to. This is what you, you know what I'm saying? Like, why would you spend any time doing something that is not what you want to do? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I feel like they, one of the biggest things, maybe perhaps the biggest thing they need to do in the offseason Figure out what the offense is supposed to look like and then work toward that. If you struggle because you can't do the thing the way you want to do it, hey, guess what? Welcome to college football. That's the reality for everybody. But this this idea that you're going to be changing stuff on the fly, you go from being speed, you know, pace, pace, pace to to and to huddling, and all you're not doing yourself any good by by changing things up and basically asking kids to do a variety of different things, none of which they're apparently getting reinforced on. Um, it's just, you know, that part for me is um, is really problematic. Um, Ferber, I, I realize we, we, we talked about whatever that question was, and now I have no idea what the question was. Um, so I'm going to give you the last word on football before we move over to hoops. Say, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, whatever whatever's yeah, rummaging around your brain. I think that what you said about the offense is right on. Um I think that's the biggest thing is they have this offseason to kind of scrap it and figure out what they want to do. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what they did wrong because I don't know what we're going to see next year. It's just um, it'll be interesting to see if they can find some playmakers besides Zacchaeus and get those guys in a position to be successful. And um, I think the big thing that I don't know if you hit on it or not, but um, grad transfers, I think that's going to be something that if they can find some guys like that that can come in and play right away and make an impact, I think that's going to be really important. Um, other than that, uh, just make sure you get a kicker. And, uh, I mean, they have one in the recruiting class, but um, just make sure you figure that out, and uh, we'll see what happens in, in the fall. Dude, I had totally forgotten about the uh, train wreck that was their kicking uh, this year. Yeah, I mean we that did, has to be. A, I mean, field goal Saturday. <laughs> I mean, true. I know that I know that everybody knows it, but it needs to be addressed because it was like it cost them. I mean, there were times of the season it cost them. Yeah, no doubt. That Louisville game, you might win if you make that field goal in the third quarter. Yeah, I agree. Louisville, Connecticut, Pittsburgh to some extent, Wake yeah. Forest definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah. what? I got one last thing on football. Okay. I want to I want to ask you guys a question on the air because we don't do this very often. Um, the like obviously you know Bronco made some the defense wasn't superb this year. Um, <laughs> that's that's probably a little gratuitous, but it it wasn't superb. But I think we see what he's building to. He's getting players' experience. 
I felt like the offense was headed that way and then kind of went off the tracks. Um, I guess my question is, do you guys think there's a part, you know, Anai is going to feel a lot of pressure in this all season. Maybe he doesn't care because, you know, he's been with Bronco for a while. He kind of knows where his, where his standing is, but there's a part of me that wonders having watched Kurt play now effectively, you know, 10 plus games. Um, he, he's got some, he's got some attributes, but he's got some issues. And what, what concerns me is, is the problems he had got worse as the year went on, not better. Yeah. You know, he had a little run in the middle of the year, but everything that was bad at the beginning got amplified even worse towards the end of the season. Um, do you guys think there's a chance that Anaya feels a pressure and starts Ben Kurt because, yeah, maybe he gives you a chance to win a few games next year over a guy like, and look, I understand there's nothing on cross that, that says he's going to be the guy other than the fact that he's an athlete quarterback. Um, but let's say, do you think if it's 50-50 between, say, a cross or Abramson um, or even Lindell in the fall, that Anai feels the pressure to start Ben Kurt next year to get a few wins <sighs> versus develop the program for a couple of years? Look, man, we just saw this staff rotate quarterbacks against one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of college football. I literally have no freaking That hurt idea. to say, didn't it? No, I mean, I, look, <laughs> facts are facts, man. Listen. Who the hell knows? Like what when when the decision goes into the you know into the into the magic eight ball and they shake it up? Who know who knows how the thing's gonna come up? I will say this: remember earlier in the year, like before. Actually, I think this may have been a preseason thing. We joked about like the Bronco factor, right? Yeah, that you in every decision you had to leave open a ten percent chance that he's just gonna go his own way. I did not realize until Saturday just how real that is. Now that ninety percent was going good, ten percent, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I I don't know I, I couldn't tell from his answer whether or not this was something he like specific like whether he was really on board with this two thing two quarterback thing or whether or not and Beck kind of talked him into it or what have you but that's where that's beside the point. Look, you're asking a question that I think is is very important, but without knowing what happens in the spring, I honestly don't think you can answer it because if they they have the open competition that I do expect them to have mainly because I think it's even if even if they think they're going to go with Ben Kirk I think they got to give everybody a shot because of how just crazy this whole thing went at the end of the year um and I think it's it's it it it, it fits their MO about earn not given right they're not going to take a dude who was basically like the kind of B quarterback almost like if he was the guy he would have been the guy right uh, they're not going to take him and just anoint him they're going to make him work for it and he obviously has to improve because they literally said we didn't have a quarterback. Like the offensive coordinator, basically admitted what everybody knew to be true, which was when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Uh, I think until they go through spring ball, you can't really know. Now, let's say they go through spring ball, they see enough across to say, you know what, he's a really good athlete, but I'm not sure he's a quarterback. Uh, let's say that uh, Abramson is just not up to snuff, and they Ben Kirk's their guy. They go into fall camp, and unless Stone unseats him or Cross improves or Abramson improves, then yeah, Ben Kirk's the guy. He should benefit from the experiences he, he has. He should benefit from that. Uh, one of the things I don't know if you can teach is pocket presence. And listen, Kirk is a great kid. All right, Every single time he'd have a horrible game, he'd come out and answer the questions. Now, I'm not trying, I say that not because I want to protect him from the reality that he has zero pocket presence and that his awareness is just his awareness like meter is like non-existent, right? I say that because I don't want to dog him. Like I'm not trying to dog him. I'm just being honest. 
If he's going to beat Virginia's quarterback, he's got a lot of improving to do. If you pull out Cross or Abramson, and maybe even Stone, good, good Lord, at least then you think, okay, they are a blank slate. And, and yeah, you got to go through some struggles, but you feel like you're moving toward the future. Ben Kirk has one year left. I mean, realistically, he's not staying. He's not applying for that other year. He's got one year left. Uh, you, who, he, who he is is going to be who he is. The other kids are, are much more works. So they're just raw clay, and you get to kind of mold them into what you want. Now, you hope that Abr- Abramson been hurt. You, obviously, you're not going to have a lot of uh, mold in there. But with Cross, you, you at least hope that he, you know, he has a little bit to draw off of uh, and he spent some time in the system. Um, I'm a little bit unnerved by the way that Bronco answered that question the other week um, So about like yeah. basically not knowing if he was a quarterback or not. I feel like if you, th- if you thought that there was a chance he was your guy, you wouldn't have said that. That being said, Cross could very well come in uh, in the spring and, and play well. So I think until we see spring ball, we're not really sure. But I think ultimately, you know, your scenario makes a lot of sense. I don't think pressure on a nigh is, is, is something that realistically is going to make these dudes do anything. They just kind of go their own way. I mean, look, good Lord. Again, they just rotated quarterbacks against Virginia Tech's defense. Against By the way Foster. you're talking, I was thinking maybe maybe you rotate, you play cross first and second down, and then you play Brinkert on third and long. So, I, mean, it was just a, it was, I mean, I can't like you know me, man. Like I'm I'm able to find like a reason or something. Like I just was sitting there, just I, I asked Ferber. I was just sitting there like dumbfounded. I was like, are they really doing this? And then Ferber, ever, you know, we'd see, and I'd go because I had binoculars up, and I go, it's Johns, and Ferber like, oh my god, he he must have said that like 50 times. Oh my god. Yeah, um, just because it was like it didn't. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It wasn't like they were yeah, playing they the said, hot hand. They said that they, they were the... they were taking people out after completions. No, they played a hot hand for a little while. Benker got well, hot they, for a they, minute, they, they, and they, then well, Benker Brewer left him in. <laughs> Benker threw were... a third yard pass to Joe Reed, and then the next play, Johns threw a pick, and then later in the game, he threw a pass for completion for like nine yards, and then the next play, Johns came in and threw a pick, and then they like, and then they and randomly then... inserted Brewer, and they ran the option, and he fumbled it. I, and I felt so bad. Which I'm still convinced might have been a forward pass if they had looked at that on replay. <laughs> they could have convinced you he was trying to option it forward. All right, we we've now done 30 minutes on football. Let's we gotta we gotta we gotta move. Um, That's about how long I, I cried. Can't, I can't imagine that that anybody really wanted 30 minutes of the podcast to be about football. So basketball, uh, hey, you know that whole loss to Nichols thing doesn't seem to have been that big a deal, right? Um, I, I that was somewhat tongue in cheek. Listen, uh, I feel like Virginia has really rebounded well from that. Um, you know, I, I kind of focused a little bit of my piece today on that. Um, a matchup, uh, an interesting matchup coming with Ohio State on Wednesday night. H- Ohio State is a team that seems to be, I would say, solid. Um, Virginia hasn't played anybody, but neither has uh, neither has Ohio State. The best Ken Palm team they played is Providence, and they only beat them by five at home, whereas Virginia, uh, you know, handled them pretty well um, down in Niceville. Um, what are some of your concerns about the Cavaliers six games in? I, I'm, I'm kind of talked about what I, you know, what some of the takeaways were my, on the on the site today. But Ferber, let's start with you. What are some of your concerns about this team uh, going into the start of the, you know, the tougher stretch of games? Concerns. Um... I guess I want to see more from the post. Um, they've played pretty well, but do it against better competition, and I'll be really impressed. Um, they had a little bit of a stretch there at the beginning of the second half against Providence where Providence hit hit some threes and kind of got back in the game, so just make sure they're tightening things up. It's kind of hard to complain about the defense the way they've played this season, but um, 
I think it's, you know, just a little bit more. I just want to see more against good teams. You know, like Iowa was a big test for me. They obviously passed it easily. Um, but, you know, Iowa's not the best team left on the schedule. Um, so, obviously, I think Ohio State's probably the best team they've played. So, um, the Ohio State's got a good defense, so that'll be a good test. Um, I want to see if people in the post can score consistently against good teams, especially good post defenders. What about you, Dave? What are some of your concerns um, um, through the first after the first six games? Well, defensively, I think we're a lot further ahead than I thought we'd be, especially when you're playing as many minutes as you kind of been forced to with guys who were role players, um, especially with even with Nichols there, you'd be doing that. But the defense is certainly better than I thought they would be. Um, I'd say my biggest concern is kind of what we saw in the last game. It's when it gets tight, where does the ball end up at the end of a offensive rotation? Like who's the guy, who's the guy they're leaning on to take the shot? Um, I know it's always wonderful to say you're a balanced team, but every good team has a guy who ends up with the ball at the end. Um, obviously London has that ability, but as you mentioned in, in your piece today, like if London's being that guy, is he, and may, maybe I'm reading too much in your piece, but if London's being the guy who takes the shot, is he as effective for Virginia overall as he could be if he's a guy who's initiating that shot? And I think that's what we're trying to figure out in the next few games. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll give us a, a chance to see where we are with that. Um, Ohio State will certainly be the best opponent we've played so far. We're still the 10.5-point favorite, which is a little shocking to me, but it is at home. Um, certainly West Virginia coming up. But I, I think I'm encouraged by what I've seen from from Mamadi. Um, and then, you know, Reuter is just kind of the, the hustle guy in, in the post. And then Salt, if he continues to keep the ball up when he receives it, I think he can be a force. But at some point, whether it's Shayok or eventually Kyle Guy or whoever, I feel like for this team to be the best, London has to be the guy who kind of gets it to the to the shooter, you know, at the end of a shot clock in a in a big situation. Um, luckily for us, what what looked like a tough schedule to build us for the NCAA, even with Nichols, will, will be something that continues to build us. And I expect some success, but I think, you know, it, it's a great schedule for a team that, that has a lot of question marks and a coach who knows how to adjust. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. They're going to have these six games, and then they get Ohio State, West Virginia, and then they're going to get um, they're going to get uh, East Carolina, Robert Morris, and uh, they get that trip out to Cal before ACC play starts. So they kind of have, like, a couple of tough games, and they have a couple of easy games, and then they have one more kind of somewhat tough game before the, for the gauntlet starts. I don't worry about the offense and like who who takes the shot as much because I think one of the things that's actually pretty good about this team is that they do have a lot of good pieces that fit well together. So if Thompson is being assertive to, and Perantis you know finds him in, in those moments, uh, you know I, I go back to what the Grambling uh, coach said. He said when the shot clock is winding down, they don't panic. The ball just happens to find the guy who's supposed to take the shot. And I I think actually in some ways. That's actually harder to defend because when you knew that guy was Brogdon, you knew the ball was going to find him eventually. Here, you're not really sure, and so you have to you have to d everybody up. I think that will cause some different guys to have different moments, and that probably means um, maybe some makes and misses. Um, but for the for the future, it, it makes them a more dangerous team. Um, but I agree, I hear what you're saying though about that that, that offensively, you, as much as you want balance, you do want to have some guy who is a reliable, you know. 12, 13 point kind of guy. Um, 
I, I think that guy is probably going to end up being Thompson. I, I really just think that his his comfort level in the pack line this year, he's going to be able to do more with the um, with the steals. I think he's going to generate more opportunities, and that to me is a, is a big boost for the for the team. I mean, listen, they're what 350th or something in adjusted tempo. Um, any free buckets they can get. Um, the better, and I think Thompson's going to be primarily the guy to get it. I also don't think, you know, Shayok had one rough game, but, I mean, realistically, he's he's played a pretty high level um, so far. And so I feel like between the two of those guys, you combine them with um, with some of the other younger pieces, um, I, I feel like offensively they're pretty good. Uh, my one question mark, and this is – I mentioned on the board that I had I started with five things and I, I kind of edited it down to three – and I'm going to say something that might sound a little outlandish, but I've, I've said several places, radio, on the board, on podcasts, that Virginia's season will depend on guys who returned who wore that jersey last year, right? So how well Thompson and Shayok and Hall and Perantis, Reuter, Salt, uh, those guys play, Wilkins. Um, I'm not entirely sure about this yet. I, I don't know where I, where I come down on this, but I keep – I keep having this nagging feeling in my gut that says Mommy Diakite is the secret to the season. Now, I'm I'm not I know there's a recency bias, right, that it happens to all of us, right? We 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 react to the thing we most recently saw or were affected by. That kid is the difference to me between Virginia being successful and Virginia winning championships. And the reason I say that is because Dave and Dave kind of hit on this um there were a couple of possessions against Providence where their bigs were shooting the ball from deep, right? That's the Achilles heel of the pack line. It always has. Let the Greek deke show up and, you know, everybody cowers in fear. The pack line is always going to give up long, long shots to big dudes, right? The question is whether or not they make them. And when you, have, when you play a team, you know, Miami had the uh, Uceda kid. Uh, um, Wick Forrest has the, has the Greek deke. You think about these guys, right? Diakite can guard those guys. And he's the first legitimate dude. I mean, Brogdon did to some extent, too. I'm not trying to, to, to gloss over that. But Diakite can defend those guys. Legitimately defend those guys. Does he get lost in the pit in the, in, when a guy slips the screen? Absolutely. And that happened to him a couple times in Niceville, and that's something he's got to work on. But he legitimately has the athleticism to cover that space and get there in a way that Virginia does. There's nobody on the roster who can do that. So in a way, like losing Nichols, who wasn't going to be able to do that either, is almost a, is somewhat of a blessing in this, in that Diakite is going to get minutes, and he keeps playing well. He's going to get more minutes. I keep coming back to him. I'm not sure if I believe it yet, but it's just this thing, and my gut keeps telling me is that that's the difference. Diakite being able to get out on those shooters is the difference. That's a role that I honestly thought DeAndre Hunter would be able to play. Um, but Diakite can do it too, and that's the thing to me that will stand – that I'm, I'm – I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not – I'm not all in on it yet, but it's something I've been kind of kicking around and certainly something I'm going to be watching for um, as the as the season rolls on. Uh, let's talk about specifically about Ohio State. When I was looking at the numbers, and I'm interested to read Ferber's uh, preview tomorrow, this doesn't seem like a Ohio State team that, that you necessarily need to be afraid of, but it does seem like a very solid team. They're in the top 15 nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency, top 35 in adjusted uh, def- offensive efficiency. Um, they're not a team that gets to the line very much. They're not a team that turns it over very well or creates turnovers very well. Um, they are a team that does well about keeping teams off the line, which is not exactly something UVA seems to um, make a lot of hay with. But the one place where they um, 
you know, where I think Virginia has an advantage in this game is that Virginia's going to play at Virginia's pace, right? Can Ohio State be disciplined enough to do that? And I feel like that's going to be the difference here. Um, what do you guys feel like uh, going into into this matchup? How do you feel about um, about OSU, and, and where do you think this thing goes? Dave, let's start with you. What do you What are your vibes on on Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, they don't. I don't have. It's tough. Uh, I don't know if I have a good vibe on Ohio State because. Spoiler alert, I haven't watched so much much of Ohio State. Um, you, mean, you mean you didn't watch them play North Carolina Central or Western Carolina or Jackson State? I got it on the DVR. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, like anything I can say from this point forward, is just going to be hearsay. I, I think it's a game Virginia should win if they play up to the potential. And it's going to be, like, that's a, an incredible thing to say when you – when you think about a program like Ohio state who was, was, has been really good in the last few years. So, um, but yeah, the little I do know about them is, you know, they've got some new pieces and, and they do, you know, do a good job of not fouling based on those stats I looked at today, but that you just mentioned, uh, it's a game. Virginia plays or plays like they should and is disciplined on offense and disciplined on defense, which, it's never really a question. Um, it should be a game we win. I don't. I don't know if we cover the spread. Ten and a half seems a little high, but I wouldn't bet on this either way. <laughs> I just. I just don't bet on us. <laughs> well, the thing other before February, I get your opinion. I do want to mention this. One thing I thought was interesting. So Virginia is fourth nationally in bench minutes, which I, which is something I found on Kim Palm, and Ohio State meanwhile is one hundred thirty third. So what that tells me is that Virginia is very very good at like getting their guys fresh legs and so not only is Ohio State going to have to be disciplined enough to play at Virginia's pace but they're going to do it with primarily like five or six dudes um, and that I think is going to be quite the challenge um, at least in terms of if you think about uh, what Virginia does to people now some of these guys obviously played Virginia last year um, and um, there's also the the fact that Trevor Thompson is there. Trevor Thompson, who started at Virginia Tech, um, so he has a uh, maybe. Maybe they they have a little feel for the pack line and what it means. And certainly, I, I feel like um, you know they're coached well. What do you think, Ferber? What do you, don't spoil the the preview, but what are your what are your overall vibes of of the Buckeyes as a team? Uh, I think they're talented. Um, they're efficient on both ends. Uh, I mean, part of that you just have to kind of see more because you have to get a better feel for how good they are compared to the competition. Um, they've played some pretty close games against teams you would think they would be a little bit, you know, by a little bit more, but I didn't get to actually watch those games really. So um, it's hard to get a real feel for how those games went. Overall, kind of agree with what you guys have said. I think it's a game UVA should win at home for sure. Um, it would be a disappointing loss. I think Ohio State has enough talent to make it close because they can shoot the ball a little bit. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they can – you know, maybe step out and make a few shots, but um, I think UVA's defense will be able to clamp down on them, and um, I don't think it'll be as lopsided as it was last year when UVA beat them in Columbus, but um, I think UVA should be able to win it uh, by double digits, 12, 14 points. Um, you mentioned three-point shooting. Looks like uh, Mark Loving is one of their better three-point shooters. Uh, Loving is a 6'8", 220-pound senior, so again, a, a big man who can shoot. 
Um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. Not just that, but you know, Jaquan Lyle, the um, sophomore point guard, um, got a lot of size to him. Um, so this is going to be a big physical team. I, I wonder how much burn, uh, like how guys are going to be able to get. Ty Jerome, um, my guess is Diakite is going to get plenty because I feel like Virginia is going to need athletic posts to get out. Um, I wonder how much Tony's going to play Isaiah and, and uh, Mamadi together. Um, one other thing, as I look kind of forward to the to the league in general, I mean, listen, they're going to get these two games. and Like I said, they get ECU, Robert Morris, and they go out to Cal, who's going to be without Cameron Rook, it sounds like, because he got his knee scope today. So that's good news uh, for them, um, uh, for, for Virginia. But then they come back home for, a, for the Louisville – or excuse me, they go to Louisville on the, on the 28th. And then they come back home for Florida State for the ACC opener on, on New Year's Eve. ACC play is going to be here really quick. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, quick. And like, it's not. It, it's not like like, oh, you're going to get to play Boston College or Georgia Tech. Like, yeah, you get that mid January. But like, you're going to have to start off with like Louisville uh, on the road, and then you got to come back home and play Florida State size. Um, and the Isaac kid who's just whoo. I, I don't even care if he hasn't shown it yet. That that dude is baller. Um, it's a tough. I mean, like, the, the, the it's a meat grinder. And I guess what I'm what I'm hoping is is that, regardless of whether or not Virginia is undefeated going in ACC play or not, please expect that there are going to be several losses. I'm saying this to everybody who frequents the message board. Please think, please know that there will be some losses, and that a loss is not the end of the world. This is basketball. It's not football. <laughs> like you're gonna, they're gonna make the tournament. Like just calm down. It's going to be okay. Like, if they lose a couple games, even if they happen to happen in a row, like, don't freak out, okay? Everybody just breathe. Um, it, it, it's not – it's it's going to be a tough year um, for a variety of reasons, and it has nothing to do with Virginia. They're, this is just an, an incredibly deep league. Um, I would not be surprised if they get 10, 11 teams into the, into the, in, in yeah. the tournament easily. What you're saying is kind of contradictory with the point I was going to make before we wrapped up was – I think we undersell how good Virginia is at home. Like, you know, we're forty-four and one in the last forty-five or something ridiculous like that. I mean, yeah, it's just a dude game. Yeah, and and that one was pretty much won until the yeah, what we all remember. Um, I mean, I think even I, when we when we talk about the game, kind of undersell how how good this team is at JPJ, and you know, the crowd is great and. Yeah, just there is probably no other crowd in the country that gets excited about defense on in basketball as, as well as ours does. So, as much as ours does, so yeah, I think we're probably guilty of, of looking at talent and not not filtering factoring in the home the home crowd factor. Um, or at least I am. So that's why I'm a little more confident in this next game. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I, ACC is loaded. Like I, I know we. I kind of think back to the Big East teams before the the split. And, I mean, the Big East before the split, I don't know that there's ever been a conference with as much basketball talent as this. Um, you know, I try not to – you were here this weekend. I mean, I try not to talk too much crap about my to my in-laws about wait, for, wait till basketball season because even Virginia Tech has got a pretty good basketball team. Um, there's just depth forever. And yeah, currently basketball's Kimpon, a funny game. Uh, let's see, top three and then – Two more in the top ten, um, so f- half of the top ten in Ken Palm is, is ACC. But then you've also got, uh, let's see, Miami twenty eighth, Notre Dame twenty ninth, Clemson thirty second, 
Tech 35th, Florida State 36th. So that's one, two, three, four, five, ten teams. So ten teams in the top 36 nationally in Ken Palm. Like, that's sick. Then you got Pitt at 46, uh, NC State at 53. So, I mean, basically the entire league is like, uh, well, with the exception of the couple who are awful. Heck, even Wake Forest is in the 60s. Um, Pitt just drilled my Maryland on the road. Oh, good. Good for them. Couldn't happen to a more lovable bunch of... Um, did you guys know I really, really hate Maryland? Um, and everything about College Park, including that time it got Ferber and I sick. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to be a meat grinder. Please, everybody, expect a few losses. But I really, I'm interested to see how this team responds, and I'm really interested to see what, what Tony does with combinations and matchups and, uh, and minutes going forward. Um, I think that's a, a good place to, to put a pin in it. I um, want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen, as always. I want to thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, to talk more basketball. Should be uh, plenty to talk about given the, the two games. And then uh, at that point, Virginia will have played a third one uh, on that Tuesday night um, before we record on Wednesday. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.